last week, Pastor Keith talked about two of the most significant doctrinal understandings that we must have as believers. Do you remember what they were? Justification and sanctification. Now, this morning, as we move along in this, just let me reiterate a little bit what we learned. Now, how many of you, if I were to give you a sheet of blank paper and ask you to write out an acceptable definition of justification, you don't have to raise your hands on this. It's okay. How many of you could do that? How many of you sitting here this morning, maybe by television, wherever the machine is, Oh, where is, can you turn these things down? I can see a little better. How many of you, I'm not sure about justification. I'm not quite clear on that. How many of you want in a marriage, in a family, to be sure that you are loved? And accept it. Amen. How many of you want to make sure you're loved and accepted? In fact, if you're not sure of that, can your relationship and your joy and peace and function in the family be as good as it should be if you're not sure? Are you with me? We need to know what justification is. It is the result of the finished work of Christ. God has declared our standing before his throne as fully accepted as his not guilty of any sin whatsoever and forever people. Can you get that? Do you get that? Justification is a forensic term. It's a legal term. It is the declaration of the judge of eternity. That because of the work of our substitute and our representative, the son of God as the son of man, dying on the cross, Taking all of our sin, condemning it all, and paying the full, final, and forever price of every sin that we ever have, are, or ever will commit. Amen? There ain't no sin left out. Because if it is, even one, then Jesus made a mistake when he said, it is finished. Do we see what justification is? It is our new standing before God. You see, justification means that God's loving 
love is the very root of our salvation. Can we get that this morning? There should be no more equivocation in our minds concerning what is justified, to justify, justification, just. God's loving justification of us is the what? Root of our salvation, of our standing before him. This is why Romans 5, 5 is in the Bible. The love of God. Is it in your notes? Has been what? Poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You need to know this verse. You need to know this verse. So now we come to the other big word, sanctification. Our sancti- if Since justification, justifying love is the root, sanctifying love is the fruit of our salvation. Do you see the difference? Do all of you know enough about gardening to know that there is a difference between a root and a fruit? Anybody, don't, anybody doesn't understand the difference? So let me say it this way. This is not in your notes, but you may like to put it down. And I said this in School of the Word this morning. Yes, we do have Sunday school, 9 o'clock, every Sunday morning. Amen? Thank you. Yes, you may clap. The root produces the fruit. Yes, you may write that down. In fact, if there were no root, there would be no fruit. The root produces the fruit. The fruit proves or manifests the root. So if there are leaves on the tree, what does this mean? That there is a root that is alive. This is not rocket science, is it? And you say, well, this is simple. Yes, but I, I think it's a nice way of remembering the difference, the distinction between these two words. So justification is the what? Root of our salvation. And sanctification is the fruit of our salvation. Therefore, sanctification is the progressive ministry of the Holy Spirit as he is bit by bit over the rest of our lives growing or bringing forth the fruit. And this fruit I'm going to be describing in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Do we see that? Justification is the root. But you see, there is a root in order to have a fruit. Justification isn't God's end goal. It is God's basic 
way of meeting his end goal, that we would be the fruit of Jesus' redemptive work. Do we see it? Justification, as significant as it is, is not the all in all. It is the foundation, if you would, upon which our life in Christ is now built so that we can have a living relationship with God in Christ. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about and be progressively producing the fruit that is in justification. So how many of you know that in the root is all the fruit? It's just not manifested. Are you with me on this? All the fruit is where? In the root. Gray is just waiting to be what? Produced by the Holy Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have that up on your screen? So let's say it. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's important that when we look at the word sanctification, we must know that and remember it has two sides to it. There are two sides to this kern of sanctification. Those of you who are from New Orleans don't know what a kern is, but everybody else says coin, but we say kern. There are two sides of this coin. You must have one in order to have the other. Without one, you don't have the other. First of all, initiating and empowering is God's work in us. Sanctification is God's work in us. Remember Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work or do of his good pleasure. God is at work. But then it's also, sanctification is not only God's work, it is also our cooperative work. Can you get that word? Cooperative work. Now, there's a lot in that word. It could it, Yielding, dependent, obedient, etc. It is our cooperative work with or in the midst of God's work. We're not working for God. We cannot work for God. Nothing can be done for God. We always are joining God in the work that he is already doing in us. So sanctification is not, I'm now saved and I'm going to start doing stuff for Jesus. I'm going to start working. No, that is not it. I am now able by the Spirit's work in me to be a co-participant, joining, if you would, hand in hand with the Holy Spirit as he works, then I am cooperatively working with him or walking with him, cooperating with him step by step. Are we with me on this? Sanctification. Sanctification. So this is what John 2, 6 says. And this is love. That we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that what? You walk in love. You walk in love. So you remember in justifying us, in justifying us, God has planted his love in our hearts. 
in sanctifying us, the Holy Spirit is, if you would, plowing the garden of our heart, bringing forth the fruit of this love. That's what's going on. Now, as we continue, is everyone okay with the distinction? These are companions, sanctification, justification, but they are distinct. They are companions. They go together, but they're distinct. Does everyone understand the distinction? Everybody okay with this? All right. Now, this morning, I want to reference John chapter 15, the first five verses in generally, where Jesus uses the analogy of gardening to describe this sanctifying ministry of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, make, make sure you get this. No one is sanctified apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can I sanctify myself? No. That is all the way. In fact, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not only are not justified, you can't be sanctified. Period. Holy Spirit brings all of this to us and makes it all a reality in us. So let's read John 15, 1 through 5. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It may be a little different than yours because I didn't have an ESV. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear what? Fruit. Now, by the way, notice, is this in your notes? Is the word fruit a bold? And, then outline or circle the word fruit. What fruit are we talking about? Before we go ahead, what fruit are we talking about? The fruit of the spirit. That's the fruit, the fruit of God's love. That which has been planted in me when God justified me. For the love of God has been what? Poured out or planted into my heart by the Holy Spirit who has been given to me. I am the vine, true vine, my father, the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. It does, he takes away and every branch that does bear what? Fruit. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Oh, verse three. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You see, you're justified. You get it? You're justified. But now we're talking about the fruit. Abide in me. Remain in me. Relax in me. Walk in me. Live in me. Submit to me. Be with me all the time. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear what? Fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus abides in us how? By the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying us. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much what? Fruit. For apart from me, therefore apart from the Holy Spirit presence in here, you can't do no fruit bearing. It can't happen. So let's talk a little bit about walking in love. Walking in love. Sanctification. Walking. Walking along the path of our justification. Walking it out. In John 15, as we just read, the father is the vine dresser. And he gives us the spirit, Romans 5, 5. For what purpose? To prune our hearts. Why? 
Why does God do that? Why does the Holy Spirit mess with us? Why do some of you ladies and a few of you men, and, and I think uh, this might be for uh, Nick, why do you mess in all that mud every day? Why? Why do you deal with all that mud, Nick? Why? Tell me. You go ahead and talk in the class. It's okay. Why do you deal with all that mud? Why, why are you in the mud all day? To produce what? To produce fruit. You're interested in what's in the mud because you want what's in the mud to come out of the mud to the pleasing of the owner of the garden. Unless you just like mud. The father's a vine dresser who gives us the Holy Spirit. What? To prune our hearts. So Nick Hutchison is pruning people's gardens. Why? So we may bear more of the fruit of the Spirit. For what purpose? For the glory of God. You remember John 15, 8? Do you remember what it says? In this, or this way, is my Father glorified. Do you want to know how to glorify God? John 15, 8 tells you. In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. And so prove or demonstrate or manifest God's glory. So you see, glorifying God is a very practical thing. It's not just something, ooh, oh, God's glory is out there. This is where the glory of God is. That you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. Look around. We are the receptacles of God's glory. And that glory that God has planted in us by the Holy Spirit is being manifested for us and the whole world to see how great our God is on the basis of one issue. Do we love one another as Christ loved us? us. Can you say amen? You want to see the glory of God? Love one another in Jesus' power. You want to experience the glory of God? Love one another. Are you with me? There's nothing, when I say mystical, in other words, unattainable by this. It's, it's very concrete. It's very practical. This is the glory of God. The love of God in me, for me, through me, among us. So what is pruning? Here's a definition. Do you have it in your notes? I should have brought the notes up here. Pruning is the selective removal. You see, when Nick goes into a garden to create a garden... You know, once you do the big, big work of getting it all together, you know, the salvation God. But then you start in a garden and you're, you're dealing with little vines and so on, and little pretty little flowers. You don't go in there with a back But you go in there with little tools and whatever and selectively work in the garden in a way and in areas that you need to in order to produce what it is that you need to produce. It is the selective material removal of certain branches or 
of a plant or or includes the targeted removal, selective targeted removal of disease, damage, or non-productive, unstructural parts of a plant or tree. How many of you after Ida had to have some of the branches of the trees removed? Right? What fell on the ground? A lot of times good branches, but a lot of times the old branches that, you know, wow, I wish I'd have trimmed that off. It wouldn't have come through the front window. It is the de-weeding de of the soil for the purpose of greater healthy fruit. That's called gardening. Sanctification is the cultivating, pruning ministry of the Spirit in the garden of my heart. As described, for instance, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Let's read that. Paul is saying, after having written all these 11 verses, and especially verses 9, 10, and 11, so difficult, you know, the sovereignty of God and the selectivity of God, and whew, he says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your, some may say your reasonable service of worship, some may say your spiritual service of worship. Now here's the verse that has to do with sanctification specifically. You've presented your body, you are the garden of God, you are now, God has created us to be his garden, we are now presented to God the Father by the Lord Jesus who has purchased us to be the garden of God. Now we've been presented and we are now cooperating. Remember, God does the work and we cooperate. Therefore, we are God's garden. Now we are presenting ourselves as God's garden. I'm not presenting myself to be God's garden. I am God's garden. Therefore, I can present myself to God to work in my garden. All right? Right, 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 right. I am God's garden, justification. God is at work. Therefore, I now have the ability by the Spirit to present my garden, myself, to God, to the Holy Spirit, to make myself more available for his work with which I am going to cooperate. He's going to get into the mud of my heart, and I am going to join him in the mud of my heart as he deals with the weeds and the trash and whatever else it is in my heart. So that together... He may grow fruit. Amen. Now, that's okay if it's just me and Jesus. The problem is, is when my wife has to interfere with this and tells me the issues of weeds in my garden. That's not okay. Are you with me? Come on. Come on. How many of you enjoy someone saying something to you that you didn't like, but you knew it was true? Come on. Yes, exactly. Thank you. But God sends people like wives and husbands, even mamas and them, and even childrens. He sends friends. He even sends enemies, enemies, to tell us where the weeds are. But who is in, who's, who's sovereign over all of this? The Holy Spirit. And yet we're complaining and fighting off and hitting and grumbling and, and whatever. And yet it is God's Holy Spirit loving us and producing God's love in us for his glory. God is at work for our benefit, our welfare, and our blessing. And we are slapping him down constantly when we are complaining and grumbling. My wife would tell you, I never complain about anything. 
I needed that laugh. Thank you a lot. <laughs> but look at verse 2. Here's our cooperation. Verse 2. We, we presented our bodies in verse 1 now. And do not be conformed to this world. <laughs> That's a sermon in four eights. Don't be conformed to this world. May I say this? Do you know what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says? In whose case the God of this world. Who is that? Satan. And this applies to every single person whatsoever in the world today. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the gospel. I'm sorry, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You want to know what's wrong with the world? Go back and read 2 Corinthians 4, 4 a few times. 1 John 5, 19, read that verse. The entire world lies in the authority, the lap of the evil one. We're not supposed to be conformed to what that enemy through the culture is developing to catch our excitement and our enthusiasm and our participation. We're not to be conformed. Don't be caught in that stuff and begin to make it significant in your life. Be careful. He says, don't be conformed, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove that which is good and acceptable will of God. You do, were, did you see the word transformed? So it is, hey, Jonathan, good to see you this morning. It is God's work, the Holy Spirit's work. How to say this with the analogy? Because you see, when I see a weed in the garden, John, what do I do? Pull it out. But you see, with God, it's not that way. He's not pulling out our sin. He is forgiven. He's transforming it. This work, this weakness, he's transforming that which is in me to be reflective of his own love. He is transforming this into his own work. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Maybe it makes more sense as I go into it. The gardening work, this gardening work occurs as the spirit transforms the garden of our natural love. You know what our natural love is. What is the essence of our natural love? Come on. What's the essence of my natural love? What word? Me, 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 me. I am the essence of my natural love. I am the essence of it. Keith has said many times, you know, the problem we have is when people don't approbate us enough. They don't notice me enough. They're not nice enough to me. Have you noticed that what's wrong in our lives and what we don't like is all about, essentially all about who? Who? Me. Me. Natural love is about me. Divine love is about he. He, God. This gardening work occurs as the spirit transforms the garden of my natural love into, doesn't remove the garden. He transforms the garden 
into the garden filled with the flowers of God's love as described, for instance, in Galatians 25, 22, and 23. By the way, we did, we did this when we went through 1 Corinthians. There is another list of love. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter what? 13 verses 4 to 8. You may want to look at that verse, those verses too. So let's look at how the fruit of the Spirit is described. Let's go back to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Bible says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Stop. Love. The word fruit is carpos. It's singular. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. How many of you ladies have a diamond somewhere? You can raise your hand. No, no one's going to no take it. So you have a diamond. Now, when you look at that diamond, what are you looking at? The various what? Say it again. Facets. Do facets make up and reveal and accentuate, etc., the wonderful light and brilliance of the diamond? Do the facets make the diamond look great? The more facets, I don't know, I'm not much of a jeweler, and cutting this and that and the other thing. Every little facet adds to the value, the brilliance, etc., of the diamond. I mean, in a general way, I would suppose that's correct. Are you with me on this? Fruit, love is the diamond. Love is the diamond. Now, let's look at the verse. The fruit of the Spirit is love. How do I know that God's love is residential in me? Well, the experience of love is what? Say it. You can say it. Joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory in First Peter. That's King James anyway. That's the way we remembered it, learned it rather. When you're saved, what is your experience? Joy. Anybody experience joy in their salvation? Phil, do you exp still experience the joy of your salvation? Always. So the experience is joy. What is the effect of our salvation? Well, you see that in Romans 5.1. What does Romans 5.1 say? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The effect is the war is over. The conquering, destroying work of Satan and sin in my life is over. My alienation from God is over. He's no longer my enemy. He is now my heavenly father. I am at peace within myself because I am at peace with God. Correct? The world is looking for peace. That's where peace is. Every other peace is artificial and will go away. The expression of God's love or the next six words. When I'm, God's love is experienced in joy. The effect is peace. And then the expression is what? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So now, 
Why does the apostle begin? And I'm going to correct myself. Why does the Holy Spirit give Paul these words this way? Does Paul write it? It's not wrong to say Paul said this. But you also be instructed to make sure you know who is really behind Paul's writings. So why does the Holy Spirit instruct Paul to write it this way? I think this. I think that in our natural garden, the garden of my heart, we are lacking the spiritual nutrients for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. How many of you know what fertilizer is? How many of you have to add stuff to the mud in your garden to encourage, et cetera, the growth of flowers and whatever? Don't you? Isn't this un is this unusual? No, it's normal. The garden of my heart is a fallen, polluted garden. And so in order for the Holy Spirit to grow the flowers of God's grace, this garden, which is devoid of spiritual nutrients, must be, if you would, nutrified. And I think that joy and peace are the two nutrients that God puts into our garden in order to encourage, motivate, etc., the production of the fruit. You see, the, this is the fruit of the Spirit, too. Joy and peace are the fruit of love, but they are fruit, I think, in a nutriating way. Is that a word? What? Nourishing way? Great. Who said that? Cody, that was you? I've never heard you talk that loud in my life. Thank you for correcting the preacher in front of everybody, Cody. <laughs> By the way, Cody, you can stay home next week. <laughs> so let's make sure, joy. I've said this many times. I, I don't think there's anything new. That I, am I saying anything new today? Am I repeating what I've said many times in the past? Has Keith ever said anything new to us? Biblically, he's always repeating. Let's talk, make sure we know, understand what joy is. Joy is Jesus' own joy that he plants in my heart. John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. How did it get in? The love of God has been planted into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 5. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete so that my joy begins to be the activity of his joy in me. So get this. Our joy in love is literally the joy that Jesus has the joy of the Son of God as he experiences the fellowship of the Father and the Holy Spirit. The joy within God himself about himself. 
That's the joy. It is the Father's joy of giving us the gift of his joy in his Son. It is the Father's joy of giving us the gift of the joy of his Son. John 14, 27, he says, my joy I give to you. I'm sorry, I've already said that. Okay, peace, I got it. What is peace? Peace is Jesus' own peace that he experiences in the Trinity, the Son of God, in the Trinity, where everything is according to God's purpose, where everything is according to God's satisfaction, where everything is according to God's pleasure, peace. There's no discord. There's no disharmony. Everything is settled, is at rest. That's God's peace. That's the peace that God the Son brings to us in God the, uh, the Son of Man as he dies on the cross, rises and sends the Holy Spirit. He gives us his own peace, that peace which is in God, that he is at peace about himself. This is the peace that guards our hearts in God's love. Remember Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard, will garrison your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians three fifteen. Let the peace. Do you see it? Let it. Let it. Not make it. Let the peace of Christ rule, guard, triumph, govern, domain, dominion in your hearts. And so... The atmosphere of Jesus' own love and joy gives us the ability to obey steadily and faithfully to walk in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have noticed this? That if you are not experiencing peace and joy, you know, something's happening. How many of you have seen this? You're not experiencing peace and joy. Have all of us been there? Okay. We're more prone to be irritable. Hmm? We're more prone to be frustrated, impatient. Have you noticed that? Are you with me this morning? Has anybody noticed that? When I'm not, so let me put it this way. You get a knock on the door. The man stands there with one of these huge checks. Good morning, Miss Hope Garandona, where you at? You have just inherited five million tax-free dollars. Now, the little discussion that you and Renee had five minutes ago that's really churning in you, is that now what's churning in you? All of a sudden, that discussion wanes because of the joy that you have in receiving five million dollars. Is that correct? Are you with me on this? The complaint that we have about whatever, the impatience that we experience about whatever, if we just inherited $5 million, would that complaint that whatever remain the same level? Yes or no? No. So what we're saying is our joy and peace can be bought. Come on. We have the surpassing greatness of God's power and presence and the riches of heaven in us and we still allow the trinkets of this world and our relationships and the difficulties to bombard us to be 
sullen and dissatisfied, right? I have to battle this just like everybody else, just like everybody else. Now, the next six facets, peace, patience, kindness, of the spirit can be compared to the spiritual tools that God uses to cultivate our garden so that it is transformed into God's garden. Each tool, remember, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to think about these as tools, tools of God's love. Each of these is designed to deal with a specific weed or area of our self-love that the face of Jesus may be so beautifully manifested in us. So, how does this work? Let's look at each of these tools of God's love and consider how God uses each to transform our fallen love into his own love. So we look at this, patience, kindness, goodness. Typically, when we read, be patient with one another. How many of us, I ask a lot of questions, don't I? I'm, I'm curious, I'm inquisitive. How many of us say, okay, today, I'm going to try to be more patient than I was yesterday. Come on. Come on. Anybody ever think that way? I'm going to try to be more patient today than I was yesterday. I'm going to be more loving today than I've ever been in my life. So what we think is when we are given the command to love one another and to express these facets of God's love, what we think is this is what we need to do in order to be pleasing to God and it's utter failure because it's not what we need to do to be pleasing to God. I do not need to make myself love. Why? I can't. It is not my attempt and work at trying to make myself love. It is my yielding to the gardener as he comes into my garden and begins to cultivate my garden, exposing the weeds of self-love and beginning to work in my heart in such a way that he is transforming my lack of patience, my lack of kindness, my lack of goodness, my lack of gentleness, my lack of faithfulness, my lack of self-control into his, rename them. Do we see the difference? Too many of us are wearing ourselves out trying to do what we're not given to do. Sanctification, I said in the beginning, is not what I am trying to do. It is what God the Spirit is doing in me as I cooperate. Do I have a place in it? Yes. Not to initiate and make it happen, but to yield to, receive, and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he is making it happen. Therefore, you see, if it's up to me, when Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'm laboring and heavy laden with trying to do good and to try to please God and to try to love this obnoxious person in my life and not to be overcome. I'm laboring. And he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, what? I will give you peace. You find your rest in me. You can't do it. Today we stop trying and we start yielding. We stop trying and we start presenting ourselves to God as the garden into which we 
are inviting him practically to transform our weeds into his flowers. So, just a couple of examples. How many of you have ever been impatient? Now, come on, I I don't want to wait all day. How many of you have been impatient? Come on. Man, I'm standing here 15 seconds, Jorge, and no one's raised their hand. Man, who I love you. But I'm going to try to be more patient, Gina. I'm going to try. If it kills me, and it will. When I'm impatient, think of the time you've been impatient. Just think of it. What does God do? Here's what he does. He whispers in my ear. He gives me a vision. He reminds me. Son, let me remind you of how patient I have been with you. Are you with me? When I am not kind to someone, he reminds me how kind he has been to me. How many of you have experienced this? Come on. When I have not been faithful to him, how many of us have been reminded of his faithfulness to me, to you? When I have not been gentle with another believer, but have criticized and categorized and dismissed another believer, someone who was an equal child of God in the family, how many times has God been gentle to me? How many times? What does Romans 2, 4 say? Don't you know that it is the goodness of God that brings forth repentance? You see, this list, and it's just a small list of more. These are the tools that God uses. So when my weed of unkindness grows... My bramble bush of impatience grows in me. When this poison ivy of whatever grows in me, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in with a bulldozer. He comes in as the gentle and loving gardener. And he kneels down into the very mud of my heart and begins to put his hands into the very soil of the corruption that is still there because we still live in a body of sin. And he very carefully and gently and patiently Touches this area with his own kindness, goodness, gentleness. And my 
lack of those begins over a period of time to begin to be transformed by and into the kindness, goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. Do we see that? God speaks to us. He speaks to us. And so, when I am unkind, I no longer want to be condemned and guilty. And, oh, there I go again. I can't stand it. I am unkind. I'm impatient. I'm not gentle. But whatever the issue is, I'm not being forbearing. Whatever the in- I'm not being forgiving. Whatever the issue is. He shows it. There's a weed in your heart, old man. There's a weed. So what is, what, what, why is he showing me the weed? He's shown me the weed in order to transform it into his flower. Are you following me? He's not going to condemn you because it's impossible for God to condemn those in whom there is no condemnation. He can't condemn you. And so here's all this stuff in me. I sometimes see my garden cluttered. Do you see your garden cluttered? And so he shows it to me. My first reaction is, oh, no, 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 no. It will stop it. That's Satan. That's the flesh. Say, Father, first thing, thank you for showing me this. Can you hear me today? Thank you. Thank you. Secondly, Holy Spirit, transform it. Don't say take it out of me. These weeds he transforms into flowers. Transform my unkindness to Phil Widener. To be expressive of your kindness to him, right? Transform my lack of gentleness into your gentleness. Transform my impatience by and into your patience. And he will do this if we call upon him, if we ask of him, if we submit to him, if we don't resist, if we rejoice in his presence and in his work in me. You see, in this way, the Holy Spirit is using the tools of his goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to cultivate God's own love in me, transforming my every area, which is the opposite into that which is of or indicative of God's own love. So why does God do this? The gardener goes into the mess of your garden. It's filled with everything imaginable that should not be in your garden. It is a mess. And so he goes in there and begins to dig around and root out and cultivate and plant, etc. 
And finally, one day, he presents this garden to his father who has sent him to do the gardening in the father's name. And so everybody is invited to look at the garden and there it is, beautiful garden. All the flowers and the shrubs and the trees and the vines and whatever, beautiful. Beautiful garden. But then the gardener takes us up to a high elevation and we're now looking down on the garden. And what do we see? We see the face of the gardener. As God, the gardener, has transformed our weeds into his flowers. This is why sanctification is such a wonderful and loving work of God. So that me individually and us collectively may be able to be on that day when our God returns triumphant, the Lord Jesus, and takes us home. We can be fully then who we are to be today. The corporate expression of the love of God in his son so that the father is glorified amen that's what this gardening is all about so today the fruit I'm sorry the root is justification and the fruit is what sanctification and can we be glad equally for both and rejoicingly now in a greater way be motivated to participate with the Holy Spirit in transforming us into God's garden so that his the son's face may be seen in us corporately amen In darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you
glory, Lord. Thank you for a glorious day worshiping your name, your son, Lord. Bless us this week as we go forth to proclaim the truth, to live lives that proclaim daily your love and your ever-cultivating garden. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys.